All right, this is God and Gender Part 4, and I'm calling this Be Confident, and here we get to um, one of the biggest areas of very practical application, and that is to parents. That's not all we're going to talk about this morning, and the things we talk about this morning apply beyond just parents, but that will be one major area of focus for us here today. So let's just say a brief word of prayer, and then... Uh, jump right into our, our notes here. Dear Heavenly Father, we look to You as the God of all truth, the God of what is real and right, the God of what is healthy and life-giving, and we pray that You would teach us and that we would be so confident in Your goodness and the goodness of Your ways that we would be able to live confidently in a world that is trying to get us to cower away in fear and silence. So we ask for your strengthening grace by your Spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so be confident in your God-given roles. And I just want to give us an example, some examples of some of those ending with parents, and then we'll, we'll expand on that. As we have seen transgender ideology really pretty viciously tries to silence opposition. They use legislation. They use mockery. They use various means of suppressing and silencing. And really, the goal is to make you lose your confidence so that you feel unsure and insecure and fearful and you just go quiet and hide in the corner. Or you give in and, and join, the, join the parade. And so I think of Jesus' words, Luke 11, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Well, why would you put your lamp under a basket? Why would you hide a light? Well, there's a good answer, right? There are times when you hide light. Why is that? If you're afraid, right? Like some of those terrible stories that came out of Israel of people trying to hide when Hamas came in and don't turn the lights on so they won't know we're there. You, you hide your light when you're afraid. And so Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't let them cower you into fear like that because your light, you're here for your lamp to be seen. That's why Jesus has us here on earth. So Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others so that they may see See your good works. So we must be confident in our God-given roles. And along these lines, I just want to say in general, I'm going to encourage, strongly encourage every one of you to make sure that you have on the shelf in your house a resource about transgender ideology. Now, I'll be giving you a big resource list next week. week. You've seen a lot of the main resources that I've used along the way. But in these times in which we're living, part of being confident is knowing that, not that you're going to be able to remember everything that we've talked about, but you've got an easy way to go back and find the answers, to discuss it with your own kids, to discuss it with a coworker, whatever the case may be. So I'm going to urge all of you to um, you know, be one of those couples who does things like buy each other books on transgender ideology for Christmas. You know, those people, um, which is good. Um, So I'll I'll give you a list next Sunday with ideas. Number one, be confident as a Christian. In the last couple of weeks, what's happened with the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson? Just so scorned for his Christian faith, right? Now, I don't know him personally. I'm not able to speak about his Christianity from a personal standpoint. But the point is that it's just so easy today to lose your confidence as a Bible-believing Christian in America since our beliefs don't fit the ideologies of the moment. Alan Branch says, Transgender activists in particular put Christianity in the most negative light suggesting that all Christians believe kids experiencing gender confusion are demon-possessed or are headed straight to hell. But we have to say no. First of all, that's not true. That's not what we believe. And second of all, I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. Now, yes, we do speak the truth, 
And that includes calling sin what it is, but we are not bigoted and we are not hateful and we are not angry, nasty, unloving people. As a matter of fact, on the ground, at the grassroots, Christians make a tremendous difference in our country. We're not the enemies here. Number two, be confident as a citizen. Transgender ideology silences opposition by saying that Anyone who disagrees doesn't really deserve to be heard in this country. I saw an interesting example of this just this week. The editorial board of the Harvard Crimson, which is the daily newspaper of Harvard University, the editorial board wrote an article after there was an event on campus about women in sports. And they were condemning that event. And they said, quote, oh, do I have this? While all speakers have the right to be heard, not all are equally worth hearing. Referring to the speakers at that event about women in sports. To this end, we applaud the organizers of the big trans party held in protest at the entrance of the event. So you see what that's saying? People like you who oppose trans ideology are not worth hearing in America today. And we must say, no, that's not true. I'm a valuable citizen of this country and my voice does matter. Dr. Wirakun, even as transgender ideology continues its march through our culture, our institutions, and our online communities, significant pushback is happening. The tide is turning. Resistance is not futile. Now, whether she's right that the tide is turning Uh, We'll see. But she is definitely right to say resistance is not futile. We should resist the lies of transgender ideology at every opportunity that we have. When you see opportunities to expose it or oppose it, then prayerfully consider how God would have you to be part of that. If something's on the ballot, vote. If there's an opportunity for public comment or to influence legislation, then Consider how God might have you be involved. If there is an opportunity to expose the agenda at your school or if there is an unsafe situation for girls in a sports league or whatever, the same in all these examples, the the types of involvement won't be the same for everybody. The point is your voices as citizens can't stay under a basket. Don't let them cower you in the corner. Number three, be confident in your specific roles in society. And so here I'm talking about things like employee, student, teammate. And we'll talk later about you know, pronouns and some of the specifics like that. But for right now, my point is just that you need to have the confidence that in those different roles, you belong there if God has placed you there. Now, you may not know how long you're going to be able to stay there, The company policies might push you out for your beliefs. The school policies might push you out for your beliefs. But until then, as long as they still allow you to be there, then God puts you there, even if they try to make you feel like you don't belong. Number four, be confident as as a witness. You know what it's like to feel inadequate about, uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door or a coworker says, you know, he's an atheist, and you feel like, ah, <clears throat> how do I share the gospel with this person? And remember what we reassure ourselves of in those situations. The gospel's the gospel, right? How do you share the gospel with someone whose beliefs you may not understand well? The same way you share the gospel with anybody, <laughs> right? It's the same truths, creator, creation, sin, judgment, savior, cross, empty tomb, faith and repentance, eternal life. That's the gospel for everybody. You don't have to be an expert on what their beliefs are or what their ideology is. So the same thing is true with somebody who's dressed in clothes that don't correspond to their biological sex. How do you share the gospel with them? Well, it's the exact same truths, right, that every one of us needed. So be confident as a witness, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. All right, and then number five, be confident as a, as a parent. So, 
This is so huge. Trans ideology attacks parents. They'll accuse parents of abuse. They will try to make you feel ignorant. They will threaten you with the suicide risk. They will try to turn legislation against you and take away your parental rights. Another one I saw this week was they will accuse parents of having your own gender insecurities that are the reason why you struggle with your kid's gender, uh, announced gender identity. The fact that they attack parents like this shows us that parents must be a huge threat to their ideology. Which is all the more reason for us to be confident as parents, right? Parents who voice what was common belief until yesterday have their fitness to be parents questioned today. And we're seeing this exact thing in California, of course. And if the politicians get their way, they will use the force of law itself to declare parents who do not embrace their child's transgenderism to be guilty of child abuse, thus making the child a ward of the state. That is exactly what's going on legislatively, um, what they're attempting in, in California. Remember that the attack on parents is part of a larger ideology that all authority structures must be torn down. That society has created these structures of oppression. Gender is one of those structures of oppression, they would say. And so it must be torn down. Parents are another one of those structures of oppression. The whole idea of mother and father is a, is a structure created by society to oppress. To oppress children. That is um, the, the bigger picture here. A couple of weeks ago, our California Attorney General, um, who is really a, 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 a who is a warrior for trans ideology, he wrote this very garbled message on Twitter. Adults abusing their power and violating their oath to trample the constitutional rights of children is not pro-parent. Now that's a very, that's a grammatical mess and a confusing sentence. But he's obviously saying that parents are abusers if they don't 100% affirm whatever their children say their gender identity is. Now of course we recognize that there are abusive parents and child abuse is a very serious problem. We are in no way making light of child abuse, but Rob Bonta is not talking about actual child abuse. He's talking about parents who dare to ask questions when their child announces some other gender identity. Meanwhile, trans influencers on social media tell children that if their parents really love them, they'll wholeheartedly support their hormonal and surgical gender transitions. And that if your parents don't do that, it's fine, it's good to walk away from them. You don't need them anyways. There's one viral YouTube video in which a nine-year-old says to other kids, if you want to be a drag queen and your parents don't let you, you need new parents. Helen Branch quotes from uh, transgender activist Nicholas Tyke. Parents are, by their nature, as adults with decision-making power, some of the largest obstacles that stand in the way of transgender kids being able to be their true selves. So it sounds like, parents, you should feel guilty that you are an adult with decision-making power in your family. And yet, true, biblical, loving parental authority is good. It is exactly what kids need. Jonathan Lehman has a brand new book titled Authority, How Godly Rule Protects the Vulnerable, Strengthens Communities, and Promotes Human Flourishing. That title ought to be obvious to us as Bible-believing Christians, and yet that is 
That is a, an incredibly countercultural title. How godly rule protects the vulnerable, strengthens communities, and promotes human flourishing. Godly rule protects the vulnerable, and kids are vulnerable for many reasons. But as Proverbs 22.15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. They are vulnerable to their own hearts. And the last thing they need is parents who abdicate their responsibility. Godly authority is what kids need. And the Bible has numerous examples of parents who ruin their children simply by letting them go their own way. Douglas Murray has a really heartbreaking, um, uh, I don't know, example or something of this. You really, sh- it'd be great if you could read the pages. The whole story he tells is heartbreaking. He's talking about observing the conference of the U.S. Professional Association for Transgender Health, and he's just recounting how they were just mocking. It was like a big joke to these therapists and professionals how anyone would ever think that we shouldn't be gender transitioning these children and so forth. And one of the, uh, one of the people who came to the mic and spoke, who was presumably some kind of maybe therapist or something in a gender clinic, said that in his clinic, he asks children, quote, if you had a magic wand or one of those Star Trek things and could do whatever you want, what would you want to happen? And then, whatever the child can imagine they want to happen, especially in the context of gender, that is what the child's parents must make happen. You must never stand in the way of what your child wants to happen if they had a magic wand or a Star Trek machine to make it happen. Can somebody bring me another Kleenex? I'm sorry. I'm a mess today. You see what I'm saying? The idea that an adult authority figure would say to a child, if you had a magic wand, what would you make happen? And now let's make it happen for you. I think I'm going to do that with Nadia for Christmas. And I'll be broke, right? You should see what she has done with the Amazon and Target catalogs. Dad, I marked the stuff I want. Well, no, the real question is, what didn't you mark, Nadia? (laughs) Last night at bedtime, Dad, did you write down the name of that toy thing in the catalog to make sure you remember? Yes, which one of the 150 did you want me to write down? Abigail Schreier quotes from a book that the California Board of Education provides for kindergarten teachers to read to their students. You ready for this? Babies can't talk, so grown-ups make a guess by looking at their bodies. Wow, think about that. If babies could talk, then they would do what? properly say what their true gender is. It's just there's this little language barrier. Otherwise, they could tell you. Babies can't talk, so grown-ups make a guess by looking at their bodies. This is the sex assigned to you at birth, male or female. And then the book, again, for kindergarten teachers to read to their students, goes on to describe for kindergartners some of the options, including all of these. This is supposed to be read to five-year-olds. And then Schreier writes this, the last tenet of gender ideology that Who Are You presents is a child's feelings as an infallible indicator of gender. You are who you say you are because you know best. The book coos. Apparently, no parents are needed because a five-year-old will know if he is third gender or two-spirit. And his parents dare not use their role as adults to get in the way. 
And so then, if, if what five-year-olds say is infallible, then what about 15-year-olds? I mean, how much more so, right? A 15-year-old will know exactly who they are, except that's not true. I am so grateful that when I was a 15-year-old, do you know if you would have asked me, you know, Pastor Tim, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you know what I would have told you at 15? Good guess. I had started to figure out that wasn't going to work. Basketball player, yeah. I would have told you I wanted to be a graphic designer. You know why? My brother was a graphic designer, and he worked for a company that made baseball cards. Now, what could be cooler than that? And his job was not only cool, but I knew that in that field I could make more money than my dad, who had a pretty boring job, and you know what that job was. Not a job that paid him a lot of money. But thankfully, no one thought that 15-year-old Tim was in a good position to set the course of my entire life. My parents and other authorities in my life were kind and gentle, they were, not, they were not harsh with me or anything in that phase. But they knew that I was immature. They knew that I was continuing to grow up. They knew that as I kept growing up, a lot would change. And guess what? Within three years, if you would have asked me what I was going to do, do when I grew up, you know what I would have said? I think God wants me to be a pastor. Now, that illustration is just about career. It is far more serious when a 15-year-old says, I'm another gender, and her God-given authorities say, well, you know best, so that is who who you truly are. That is your identity. Here are cross-sex hormones, 15-year-old. And if you want surgeries, we'll help you get those too. Teenagers, I'm not trying to insult you, but the science clearly shows that the teen brain isn't even developed enough to make huge life-altering decisions like that. Social science also demonstrates things like that while teenagers are very good at using technology, they're very bad at distinguishing between what's true and what's false on social media. Teenagers need parents. And I know in your heart something says, no, I don't. That's because you're growing up and we're glad you're growing up. But when your growing up heart says, I don't need parents, you have to listen to God and say, yes, I do. They are a good gift to you. Yet society is threatening parents if they dare to question anything from their child. And kids love that. Kids love the idea that mom and dad are just going to be this feather who's blown around by whatever I say. Mom and dad are required to go with it. I mean, that's a kid's dream come true. You imagine Nadia Christmas and mom and dad as feathers blown around by whatever she wants? It had already be Christmas. It would have been 365 days of Christmas if Nadia had her way. If parents are like a feather, they are deeply harming their children because what kids need is parents who are like a foundation. Stable, strong, consistent, dependable, true, and even unyielding on some things. The whole point of a foundation is that it doesn't go whenever anything pushes on it or tries to move it. It won't move. Now, kids, you know, humble parents will move. They'll be willing to say, yeah, I was wrong about that, or yeah, I'll rethink that. I'm not talking about parents who ever refuse to change their mind or admit they were wrong about anything. But when it comes to the big things, the main things, the true things, the eternal things, God's things, parents, be confident. Not arrogantly confident, not self-confident, but confident that parenting is a good, God-given authority that actually protects the vulnerable. When Rob Bonta tries to make you think you're an abuser by virtue of the fact that you're a parent, you have to say, you're wrong, God uses me to protect the vulnerable. And as you are guided by God's Word and God's wisdom, you do know more than your children. And you can say no to your children. And that is sometimes the most loving thing for you to do. As Abigail Schreier, again, who's not a Christian, she's Jewish, Abigail Schreier says, don't 
relinquish your authority as the parent. You're the parent for a reason. Now, let's stay on the theme of parenting, and I want to address three questions that can um, on topics that might make parents feel less confident, so I want to address them now. First question, is it harmful to ask questions of someone struggling with gender dysphoria? And as we noted a couple of lessons ago, in really all the other areas of life, we do ask questions. If someone comes to a therapist with a big claim, the therapist will usually ask questions if it's not about gender. If someone comes to their doctor with a big self-diagnosis, the doctor will ask questions and do tests. If a child comes home from school and says, Mom, my teacher hates me, Mom will ask some questions, right? Learn more about why their child thinks that. Even in our normal everyday friendships, don't we sometimes say things like, are you sure about that to one another? And so no, it is not damaging to lovingly ask questions. And the people who are now trying to detransition back to a gender in line with their biological sex, they say they wish more people would have asked more questions along the way before they made these life-altering decisions. Well, but what about the suicide risk? First of all, statistically speaking, the suicide risk is real. Youth who identify as trans have significantly higher rates of anxiety, depression, self-harm, and suicidal ideation. That's true. But it is false to say Trans kids have a higher suicide risk. Therefore, everyone must fully affirm their trans identity. Now we've just made a huge logical leap. Here's something else that's false. Trans kids would not have significantly more mental health problems, including suicide risk, if everyone would just fully affirm their trans identity. That too is a huge logical leap. Yes, trans kids are more prone to be depressed, more prone to be anxious, more prone to self-harm. But the question is, why? Consider this. In recent years, trans identities have become very broadly accepted. The Democratic Party completely accepts them, in the, in the lead-up to the last presidential election, Joe Biden talked about how he would wholeheartedly support a seven- or eight-year-old girl and her gender transition. So the Democratic Party completely accepts them, and every major social power in the U.S. promotes them. Big tech, Hollywood, the music industry, the sports industries, the medical profession, the psychological profession. So in the last about 10 years, all of the major societal powers have aligned in support of trans identities. Meanwhile, mental health problems among American youth have skyrocketed. Now, I'm not saying there's a direct correlation there. There could be some correlation. Trans ideology might be one of the reasons for the terrible mental health of American youth. But even if not, the fact that Youth mental health has gotten massively worse while trans ideology has become so broadly accepted means that you cannot say that the reason why trans kids are more prone to suicide is just because society refuses to affirm them. Society is wholeheartedly affirming them everywhere we look. There's also an important question here of cause and effect. And I, I realize I'm saying stuff this morning that you're, you're, you're not supposed to say. Um, but we have to say what's, what's real. There's a question about cause and effect, right? Like in statistics, you talk about the difference between correlation and causation, and that, affects, that relates here, and then you talk about cause and effect, which came first, the chicken or the egg. So are they having mental health problems because they are transgender? Or... Are they coming out as trans as one of the ways they are coping with their mental health problems? 
which came first, the mental health problems or the trans identity, which caused the other. We've also learned that transgender ideology is a worldview that does not give a person true purpose or meaning. It leaves you with no rock to stand upon except your psychologized sense of of yourself. And that is depressing. That is not the way humans are supposed to live. There is so much meaning that comes from outside of us. And that's all been stripped away. And then Dr. Wirakun adds two more important points about the suicide risk. First of all, she notes that when young people began to get wrapped into the trans community online, so through social media hashtags and groups and so forth, they are quickly told and repeatedly told that they're supposed to feel suicidal. And again, just basic social science is going to tell us that if you take a group of people and tell them something like that, you feel suicidal, right? You say that enough times, and guess how they're going to start to feel? Dr. Wirakun also notes that statistically, transitioning to another gender does not resolve a person's suicidal feelings. Rather, it tends to make them worse. So the idea that we have to help them gender transition so they won't commit suicide is not just biblically false, it's statistically false. So youth who identify as trans have worse mental health overall and a higher risk of suicide. But that does not mean that their parents must blindly affirm whatever the child says about gender and rush them into medical transitions. For kids to have hope, they need truth, not lies. Biblical hope is what leads us away from suicide, right? Isn't Jesus the most life-giving, hope-giving thing there is? So parents, be confident. Don't let the threat of suicide keep you from being the parent you're meant to be, the kind of godly parent who protects the vulnerable. One more question. Do children grow out of gender dysphoria? And the answer, statistically, is yes, they do. Um, There are a number of different studies with a number of different numbers, but many studies have found that 70% or more of those who struggle with gender dysphoria will grow out of it as long as they don't start what? What goes in that blank? Hormonal treatments. 70% or more will grow out of it as long as they don't start taking hormonal treatments. I may have quoted Alan Branch a couple weeks ago when he says, puberty is not a disease. It can be a hard and complicated roller coaster, but as Dr. Wirakun writes, it has been scientifically demonstrated that the growing pains of puberty lead to healthy, mature adulthood. And when science observes that, they're simply observing the goodness of what God has created. Note also that surveys of those who are now trying to detransition, surveys of detransitioners say, they say that the number one reason why they are detransitioning is because they have grown to be comfortable with their birth sex. So there are many reasons to resist any big conclusions or decisions that a child might make about their gender. There are many reasons to resist medical transitions for those who are struggling with gender dysphoria and to instead let children continue to develop, let puberty continue doing its work while encouraging them to accept their God-given biological sex. All right, so what can parents do? Um, I wanted to put this on the slide, not because you'll be able to write it all down now. These resources will all be on the list next week. And I just wanted to have noted some pages that are particularly for parents and some of the hard things that parents face. So you can come back and find this on the recording um, if you need to get some of those pages. And the the books will all be on the resource list next week. But again, parents, equip yourselves. Have a resource on the shelf that you've marked up, you've highlighted. You know where to find some of these things um, that I've been working us through these weeks. All right, what else can parents do? Well, so many things parents can do if we get really foundational. Like, you know, start with your own spiritual health. That's the best thing you can do. Walk with God and love God. Um, Your own love for the Bible. 
discipling relationships, your connection in your local church, and teach the Bible in your home, and pray for your children. And so if I put all those things on the list, we would have a very long list. But I'm focusing more on things directly related to transgender ideology. Number one, believe and communicate to your children that God is good. His explanations of human reality are true, and His hope is real. We'll talk about this more next week when we talk about the better biblical answers, but Dr. Wirakun says, provide your child with a counter-narrative to the one given by transgender ideology. Because the transgender narrative, the story of who we are and what our lives are about, and the answers it provides and the hope it offers, those things are actually false and empty. God's Word is true and it's eternally real. Psalm 100 verse 5, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. So teach your children the goodness of God and live yourselves in His hope so that your kids see that. Number two, exhibit Christ-like virtues. You know that society is going to come after you as parents. So 1 Peter chapter 2 says that when you know that people are going to try to speak against you as evildoers, make sure you keep your conduct honorable so that then their accusations are just, are just hollow. So when the, you know that the world's going to try to tell your children how terrible parents are, by God's grace and by God's Spirit, may we live in a way that undermines that. May we be kind and wise and gentle and protective and caring parents so that the world can slander us all they want, but it's not true. Anybody who came and watched in our home would know it's not true. That's number two. Number three, keep your family integrated into the life of a healthy church family. One of the most dangerous things parents can do for their children is to attend a weak church or neglect to be faithful at church because the church family in God's plan is a powerful anchor for young people. And so the key, parents, the key is not for you to make sure you keep your kids plugged in to a church. That's important. But the key is you, for you to be fully integrated into the local church. Because if your kids pick up on the idea that you think they need it, but you don't need it so much, oh, they're going to run with that. So what you want to do is model it Model for them your need for the local church, your involvement in those discipling relationships, your commitment to the body of Christ, and that example will have a powerful impact on them. And by God's grace, they'll probably follow your example. Number four, celebrate male and female without unnecessarily stereotyping. Let your sons know that God made them a man and that's cool. And let your daughters know that God made them a woman and that's cool. Remember what we saw earlier? Both manhood and womanhood are treated like diseases in our society. Let it be the opposite in our homes. Do you remember this slide from before? I'm not trying to... Get us distracted by all these details. But you remember the big arrows, this is the direction God sets for our life by making us, creating us male or female. And we noted that within that, there are biblical gender essentials right down the middle of what God called you to be. But then outside of that, there is actually a lot of individual uniqueness where some boys we might consider to be more, you know, 100% true, all, all boy, you know. And some, not so much. Maybe they, they you know, we, we talked about all that. So my point is that when we celebrate male and female, we want to do that without unnecessarily stereotyping. So, so um, you know, dads, sometimes they, wanna, they want their sons to make them proud by playing football. Or, or some moms want their daughters to make them proud by, you know, sewing your own dress or something like that. 
And those are marvelous things. And boys can play football and girls can sew dresses if that's how they're gifted by God. Those things aren't necessarily biblical gender essentials. Like to be faithful to God, you have to do these things. So if you've got a boy that wants to play football, great. If you've got a girl that is interested and can learn how to sew, great. But what we want is to not put unnecessary pressures on kids while still saying, God made you a boy. God made you a girl. And let's be that. As you are a unique person, but a God-given male or female. Dr. Wirakun has a neat little section about her own story because she is a scientist. And she doesn't necessarily fit some of the female gender stereotypes. And she says this, My parents were wise enough to encourage me to follow my interests while at the same time calling me to grow up to be the woman God intended me to be. Isn't that good? Wise enough to encourage me to follow my interests while calling me to grow up to be the woman God intended me to be. That's your goal, parents. Let them flourish as the person God created to be within their God-given calling, a male or female. Abigail Schreier's book is especially about girls. And so, um, in in her list of recommendation for parents, she says, don't be afraid to admit it's wonderful to be a girl. And what she writes next, it's pages 217 and 218. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. As a girl dad, it made me want to cry. And she finishes by saying, quote, being a woman is a gift containing far too many joys to pass up. And she's saying that because she's so heartbroken that our culture tells girls the opposite. But you know what? The same is true of being a man. It's a gift containing far too many joys to pass up. What God created is good. So make sure your kids know that. Number five, don't compromise on the truth that claiming an identity other than your God-given biological sex is sinful. We must be gentle and patient and gracious, but we can't ever actually abandon this truth that to claim an identity other than what God created me to be, to transition to an identity, that, that, is, that is a sin. It is rebellion against God, and, and it is also false. Number six, educate your children about transgender ideologies, but guard them against transgender influences. Some children may need to be told a lot. Uh, for others, they'll be very content to just know the basics and, and go on. So you you educate your children in ways that are age-appropriate and child-appropriate. But the point is that they need to learn about transgenderism from us, not from the culture. We need to be the first place our kids learn about male and female and sexuality and marriage. Um, And and by the way, if you you want a great example of how to talk to your kids about it, Andrew Walker's book, God and the Transgender Debate, that will be on the list next week. It's pages 143 and 144. He just works through a number of ideas you could communicate with somebody like a 10-year-old that you are communicating about it. So that gives a good example if you want it. And then don't just talk about it once. Keep the conversation going. (laughs) The world gives us plenty of opportunities to bring it up. They bring it up. So we must educate our children, but at the same time, seek to guard them against transgender influences. The transgender influencers on social media are evil. They are spreading horrible lies. They are tearing children from parents. And so you are responsible as a parent to do what you can do to keep your children away from evil liars. As we mentioned in the previous week, there are also many movies that celebrate sinful lifestyles. Just about any streaming service is full of them. Plenty of music. And then there are peers that influence their friends toward transgender identity and behavior. So parents, we have to keep doing the hard work. We can't shelter our children from everything. That's why we teach them and train them so that they can stand when sinful temptations are right in their face. 
And yet, while we can't shelter them from everything, we can and must try to protect them from direct worldly influences as much as we can. Along those lines, it is worth noting that I I mentioned a moment ago Abigail Schreier's list of recommendations for parents. One of those was make sure your girls know it's great to be a woman. (laughs) Um, You know what her number one recommendation is? Non-Christian. Her number one recommendation is don't get your kids a smartphone. She says, quote, most consider this an unimaginable amputation. But in terms of obviousness, this one's not even hard. She says, if I had told you in 2007, the year of the iPhone, that one device would produce a sudden skyrocketing in self-harm among teens and tweens, you would have likely said, no way is my kid ever getting one. And yet, here we are. With self-harm instruction, manipulation, abuse, and relentless harassment supplied by a single smartphone. Educate your children about transgender ideologies, but guard them against transgender influences. Number seven, listen to your children. I don't mean give in to your children or do whatever your children want. I mean spend lots of time understanding what your children are thinking about, which requires lots of listening. Deuteronomy 6, dialogue with them about life. Bring God's truth into all the normal conversations as you go along the way through life. You know, when we're selfish or when we're tired, we can tune out our kids. When we're distracted by our phones, we can tune out our kids. Whenever your children want to talk, try your best to be ready to listen and try to put them in positions where they can talk. Help parents to see the world their children inhabit is likely very different to anything they, the parents, have experienced. The internet and social media, radical secularity, sexual permissiveness, pornography and its side effects, the prevalence of hypersexualized self-identities and other 21st century social forces have all combined to make the opportunities and challenges facing our children significantly different from anything that has come before. Now, that might be a funny quote to use on a day when my theme is, be confident. But don't let this scare you. That's not my point. My point is that it means you're going to need to listen and try to understand what's going on in the mind and heart of your kid because it might not be at all the challenges you were facing at their, at their age. Another reason to listen and know what's going on in your kids is because we know statistically that children who are abused or bullied or who struggle with mental health are much more likely to be susceptible to trans ideology. So that's another reason to really want to be listening and knowing what's going on in their hearts. Number eight, don't allow transgender ideology in your child's education. We were reading 2 Peter 2 this week, some of us who are on the Bible reading plan, and it refers to how Lot's soul was tormented as he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have put himself in a place where his soul was tormented day after day. And so we don't want to put our kids in that situation. There's not one perfect educational solution for every family, every child. Parents have to weigh their options and understand their children. But one thing Christian parents should be certain about will not put our kids in a situation where an, where an educational authority figure is teaching them transgender ideology. That should be an absolute non-negotiable as much as it lies within us as, as parents. Number nine, stay calm and patient. I'm not referring to cowardice. I'm not referring to procrastination. We know that as parents, there are moments when we need to take decisive action. I'm not minimizing that. But we know that the Bible says that anxiety is sinful and hastiness is sinful. And so whatever your child might be going through, be calm because of your confidence in the Lord and be patient because we all know that in all of us, spiritual growth takes time. And um, a couple things on specifics just to point you to resources. When children express dysphoria or a trans identity, there are sections from uh, Walker and Weirakun's books on that. Alan Branch also has a section on when adult children 
express dysphoria or a trans identity. Um, so those are some specifics that might be helpful. Um, almost done. Number 10, be loving and kind, but don't agree with what is not true. If your child says, I am trans or I am gender or I am a boy when she was born a girl, you have to be loving and kind to them. It is never right to mock, never right to scorn or do anything like that. And yet, you must not agree because what they're saying isn't true. Now, they may very deeply feel it is true. They may think it is true. But your job as a parent is not to be the feather, but to be the foundation and to stay in what's real. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you immediately argue with your child the moment they say that to you or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. It may be best to ask them questions and really try to understand where they're coming from first. But at no point can you agree with them about what is false. And then, number 11, insist that hormonal and surgical transitions are not options. Two weeks ago, we talked about why these things should not be options. And so, unless there was actually something medically wrong with a child, you know, a a sexual development disorder um, that's medically diagnosable, Christian parents shouldn't ever be okay with any type of hormonal or surgical transitions, including puberty blockers. They're not only unsafe, but they harden children into trans identities that they would most likely otherwise grow out of. And it's also sinful. So it's, it's, it's wrong to try to change your God-given sex. So parents, you can't support that. You can't support um, gender transition medical treatments for, um, for your children. All right, that's a list of 11 uh, things parents can do. And along the way, I've named a number of resources that might be helpful for you also. So our theme today has been be confident. And so I'd like to finish with a few verses from Hebrews to serve as a benediction and a charge as we, as we go out. And I don't have them here on the screen, but just listen to God's word about confidence, okay? This is five verses from Hebrews 3, 4, 10, and 13. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, And we are God's house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that good? Amen. May the Lord bless you with His confidence in Himself and in the Gospel as you go.